the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. At the start of the week, China accused detained Canadian citizen Michael Kovrig of stealing state secrets. According to Chinese media, the secrets were passed on to him by the other detained Canadian, Michael Spavor, in what is likely to further ramp up tension between Ottawa and Beijing. Entrepreneur Michael Spavor and former diplomat Michael Kovrig were picked up in early December. Shortly after Canada arrested Huawei Technologies executive Meng Wenzhou in Vancouver, Meng faces extradition to the United States. While Canadian authorities have been told there is no specific link between the detentions and Meng's arrest, experts and former diplomats say they have no doubt they are using the cases of the two men to pressure Canada. Libby's Nimer discussed the situation with Chuck Kwan of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China, along with China expert Donald Clark, professor of law at George Washington University Law School. I don't really see a lot new in the announcement except the linking of the two cases together. The kind of uh, news story that China released said that, uh, you know, the investigation has made major progress. So that's kind of what they're announcing. They're saying the investigation has made major progress. But, you know, we already knew that the government was painting this as a, uh, you know, a national security case. Of course, the timing uh, of these announcements obviously is not coincidental, and uh, China doesn't intend it to be seen as coincidental. They're sending a very clear signal that, uh, you know, these are hostages, and if you do what we want, maybe we'll let them go, and if you don't, we won't. Chuck, does the the connection made to spying, does that put them in grave danger for their lives if the government doesn't do what they want, what China wants? I think, as Professor Clark said, it's, it's fairly obvious from day one that they will be charged with spying. Um, and we have to understand that China uses the so-called state secret as a very kind of a um, very dubious way in, in the sense that any, anything they don't want you to know, they call it state secret. We have to be very, very careful. Um, we have to be very skeptical about the kind of uh, charges that, that they're facing. And obviously, this is a strict political retaliation uh, against uh, our case against Meng Wanzhou. Yeah, uh, Libby, just to answer your question specifically, uh, I would be very surprised if it ended up with a death sentence. So, I mean, this is what they're doing is unacceptable and it's hostage taking. But it, as um, uh, as we all know, it's a political case that I don't think politically that uh, they would uh, impose the death penalty. Now. How much does the SNC-Lavalin scandal play into this? Because it seems that uh, the Chinese have uh, glommed onto it. They they figured out it was happening, and they say, "Aha! Uh-huh, Canada says it uh, is a country of the rule of law, but they're meddling in the judicial system for their own purposes. Professor Clark? Well, actually, I think that that uh, case... Uh really carries the opposite lesson, because it establishes that there really is a norm against political meddling in cases. It establishes that if you try, even if you're the prime minister, you try to meddle, you're going to get in trouble. And in fact, his meddling was unsuccessful. So uh, I think that uh, shows uh, precisely what Canada has been saying all along. 
So for China to draw the opposite lesson seems, uh, you know, absurd. Are they drawing the opposite lesson, though? Well, the lesson they seem to be saying is, oh, look and see, you you guys um, uh, interfere politically in cases as well. But actually, what it shows is that even the prime minister, when he tried to interfere in a case politically, uh, was rebuffed and did not succeed. And now he's in all kinds of hot water. What do you think will happen next? I don't think this case in particular is connected with uh, Huawei, you know, uh, Huawei's efforts to get other countries to uh, uh, use its networks. I think it really is connected to Iran sanctions, because that is something that the current U.S. administration is uh, really keen on. And that is what uh, Meng Wanzhou's uh, arrest uh, is all about. I think... Uh, one reason the Chinese government is so concerned about this case is not only what has been mentioned, which is true, I think this idea that she knows a lot in the refrain, she might cut a deal, um, but also uh, China, Chinese government wants to show um, uh, other companies that are involved, other Chinese companies that are involved uh, possibly in, um, uh, you know, shipping stuff to Iran, helping Iran. They want to show we've got your back. And if they are seen to throw uh, Meng Wanzhou under the bus, then perhaps other Chinese companies won't uh, cooperate uh, with China's kind of geopolitical goals of uh, getting friendly with the uh, government of Iran and helping it to evade uh, U.S. sanctions. Chuck, do you have a different parting thought? I, I basically agree. I, but I think also the existential, existential threat of Huawei's equipment uh, is putting a lot of uh, countries in, into anxiety, and that helps. Uh, that that is also part of it. I've heard theories that uh, uh, they were going to um, bring her into the states, and then, of course, uh, hope for a plea bargaining so that she can reveal all the secrets. Uh, as you know, her father is very connected to the military intelligence in in uh, in China, and and certainly there are a lot of high level. Uh, spying or counter-spying kind of uh, um, ways uh, that they can extract from her. And I think that's the ultimate goal of the Americans. That was Chuck Kwan of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China and Professor Donald Clark. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. The political fallout over the SNC-Lavalin scandal has been growing. At the start of this past week, it was revealed in a survey that one in four Canadians believe the SNC-Lavalin scandal will influence their vote in the October election. Before Jody Wilson-Raybould's public testimony a week ago Wednesday alleging high-level government pressure and veiled threats in the case when she was Justice Minister, 17% of Canadians said the SNC-Lavalin scandal will be a factor when they vote in the fall. Two days after the hearing, the number of concerned respondents jumped to 26%. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau also tried to change the dialogue from the SNC-Lavalin scandal to the issue of climate change with the launch of election year radio ads, which aired this week in four provinces where the federal government is imposing a carbon tax, Ontario, New Brunswick, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. On Monday, Libby spoke with Lauren Bozanoff, president of the Forum Research Group, Group about the new numbers. You know, we are kind of surprised by a couple of things. First of all, the high numbers in terms of people who say they can explain uh, explain the the, the affair um, is fifty five percent, and um, that's really really high number for people to say that. It's kind of a you know, it's not an issue that directly affects most Canadians. Like, you know, if you're the average Canadian, how does it actually affect you? But um, a lot of people know a lot about uh, this affair. On a, a normal sort of inside the beltway issue in Ottawa, what would that number usually look like? More like 25 or 30 percent. 
There is an anomaly in these results, though. I noticed that the numbers differ a lot by uh, where people live. And once you get out west, which is really, you couldn't get further away than, than Montreal or where, where Lavalin is headquartered, uh, the numbers really skyrocket. So overall, the whole country, 55% say, yeah, they can explain it. Um, but in Alberta, 73%. So they, they don't live in Alberta. They don't live in, 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 in Quebec. But they say they, are, they can confidently explain the uh, SNC affair. One of the impacts of this is that it's really driving a wedge between Alberta and central Canada. And granted, Alberta is not normally liberal territory, but, but I guess the, the thinking there is, look, if there was a threat to jobs in Quebec, they run all out and they even interfere in the judicial system. And here they're leaving us to rot. They're not doing anything about this pipeline that, that taxpayers are pay, paying billions of dollars. Our economy is in a shambles and, and nothing is happening. Yeah, so I think this is becoming uh, a lightning rod for that type of issue uh, for the anti, anti-liberal anti uh, sentiment based on what's happened out west with the pipeline and stuff like that. Was Quebec responding differently than the rest of uh, the country? There, you know, really the Atlantic, Quebec, and Ontario are kind of grouped together in this. They're kind of looking at things in a similar manner. They're not, they don't have the high confidence in explaining the affair, even though, you know, people are living in, in Quebec, you think they'd be pretty, pretty, pretty knowledgeable. And of course, that's a prominent Quebec company we're talking about. So, um, I, I think what's happening is, uh, in Quebec, I think there's some expectation that the government should go to bat for SNC. Remember, it's not just the company that's, we would be, I'll say punished, but the employees, their families, their suppliers, it, it's, it's more than just a single, thing that's that's at stake here what would you like to leave us with on this uh really it is six months to go the liberals have to really now buckle down and and change the narrative you know they have the ndp sort of on the run the leaders have been of a weak position so on the left the liberals have a lot of opportunity but they do have to get this behind them and they have to get back on track with the people issues they're going to try that with focusing on climate change and stuff like that they need to get back to the economy the economy's in not bad shape. It's not maybe fabulous, but it's not in terrible shape. So they need to get back to people issues and they've got to put this scandal behind them somehow. That was Lauren Bozanoff, president of the Forum Research Group. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Healthcare policy expert Stephen Skivington is set to fix what he says is no longer the best healthcare system in the world. He joined Libby in studio to explain why change needs to happen and how Canadians can get involved. My 10 solutions, the first one is stop lying to us. And uh, that's, uh, I really wish that they'd be honest and say, you've got to let people go when you're restructuring the healthcare system. Uh, when they're putting the 14 lens in there, you have to touch the third rail. In fact, I say touching the third rail. And having a hybrid private parallel system is a good thing. When you think of it, the train doesn't run unless you touch the third rail. And in order for our healthcare system to operate at peak efficiency, we have to be brave enough to touch the third rail. So I've written a book. I sort of say I'm like every man. I've been dropped behind enemy lines for the last 25 years. And now like a canary in a coal mine or a war correspondent, I've come back to report on what I've seen. Uh, the other thing I would say is two tiers would be a huge in- improvement because we currently have 10 to 15 tiers. You know, we have uh, 
uh, the WSIB, the workers' compensation tier, the RCMP tier, the prisoners tier. Did you know prisoners have better access to health care than the rest of us? Yes, I do know yeah. that. That's kind of annoying. Yeah. I mean, the people listening out there think that's okay. I certainly don't. As I say, one of the things I like to see in the Canada Health Act is for quality to be one of the six principles. It's not one of the current five. And what happens is if I had died instead of being um, a recovering from my heart trouble, it would have been the exact same thing because everybody would have moved up one. So for the bean counters, it's all about it's all about moving the line. And, and uh, how would private, if you needed, how would private health care have helped you? Well, uh, it, it, what it would have done was given some options probably before I even got to that point. I'm, I'm really big on, see, we have two problems with our healthcare system. One is it's a sickness system, not a healthcare system. So we've you, heard that before. So, so you've got, you know, and I, and I liken it to if you have a serious problem, like a heart or you hit your car crash, it's like being at the Indy 500, you pull into the pits and this incredible team works on you. If your problem isn't serious, but you'd still like to do something about it, like your hip or, your, or whatever, uh, it's like when you get a snowstorm in Toronto. And, uh, you know, the main road gets plowed and maybe three days later, your road might get plowed if you don't, you know, live on the main road. And that's, that's a big part of the problem. But the, the other thing is we have a monster accounting problem. And it's quite interesting because the millennials and the iGens, uh, think, I don't have to care about healthcare. I'm healthy. I, you know, why do I have to worry about this for another 20, 30 years? Well, here's the problem. Here's some numbers from the book. So us boomers, uh, we'll get $4,000 more healthcare. We'll use $4,000 more healthcare in our lives than we've paid for through our taxes. The millennials will pay, um, $18,000 more in taxes than healthcare received. And the iGens will pay $27,000 more in taxes than healthcare received. I would like people to be prepared when the candidates come knocking on the door, which are already starting to do, to make healthcare the number one issue in this upcoming federal election. And the only way we're going to know that is to be able to quiz the candidates, not let them get away with saying, I support Medicare or I'm against two-tier. Because frankly, if that's what you're, where you're coming from, we will end up with a U.S.-style two-tier system by 2030 because we will have bankrupted ourselves. If Unless you allow the kind of innovation I'm pitching um, – the system is unsustainable. I, you know, I would just like to see us have that adult conversation in which we can actually talk about this stuff in a mature adult way and make tough decisions. Because here's the problem. You've had doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals keeping the system from collapsing over the last 20 years. Any normal person would let it collapse. And we could have worked at fixing this 20 years ago. Now we're getting to where it's almost too late. So we have to do something now. So that's my my goal here. And I'm certainly hoping that we could uh, maybe look at forming an institute of healthcare reform and innovation. I'm, I'm right now looking around for backers for that so that we can we can actually uh, make our healthcare system better made in Canada solution and make it better for everybody. Stephen Skivington, the author of This May Hurt a Bit, Reinventing Canada's Healthcare System. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. It was a headline-making week at Queen's Park. OPP Deputy Commissioner Brad Blair was fired after expressing concerns about Ron Tavner's hiring by the Premier for the position of OPP Commissioner. Blair asked the courts to force the provincial ombudsman to investigate the hiring of Toronto Police Superintendent Tavner.
Sylvia Jones, the Minister of Community Safety and Correctional Services, insisted that the decision was made by the Public Service Commission. All of this took place before Ron Tavner decided on Wednesday to withdraw his name for consideration of the OPP's top position. Libby Snymer discussed the sudden dismissal of Brad Blair with political strategist Kim Wright, NDP MPP Taras Natashak, employment lawyer Sunira Chowdhury of Levitt LLP Employment and Labor Law, and political strategist Mike Van Solen of Navigator Limited. It's uh, a lot is being made out of it, but I think they are managing it well. They, uh, when some concerns were raised, the government immediately uh, turned it over to the integrity commissioner to investigate. That investigation is ongoing. Um, they uh, turned it over with respect to Mr. Blair. They turned it over to the Public Service Commission um, and the uh, the interim commissioner to to uh, look at it. The uh, ultimately the deputy minister um, and the Public Service Commission independent. Uh, made a decision that resulted in Mr. Blair's termination. So um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes and how big of a, an issue it, it ultimately is. Um, I think it pales in comparison to what we're seeing up the road in Ottawa, um, where the rubber really hits the road. It, it, it strikes me that the, the government's trying to do the, the right thing. Kim, do you agree with that? Shockingly, no. <laughs> um, so, and part of it is managing his the premier's own expectations. When you talk about him having a vehicle to travel around the province, no one would begrudge him that. But the way he framed it was, I'm going to go get a used van or I'm going to go around the province. But it wasn't the fact that he had this, as you call it, tricked out van. All of these things make sense. Have a TV in it so you can see what's happening. Have chairs for your staff. Be comfortable. It is a long way to a lot of places in this province. But it's, again, it's the framing of this. The Tavner stuff, it isn't about whether or not he happens to know the Ford family and has known the Ford family for a generation. It is about how specs got changed to accommodate uh, someone without who hadn't run a force before. And much like S&C, it's not necessarily what happened with the, with the substantive parts of it. It's how you maintain the communication strategy, the messaging, and how whether it passes a smell test, the way you're phrasing it. We are bringing in Sunira Chowdhury, who is a lawyer with Levitt LLP Employment and Labor Law. The word insubordination was mentioned. I know that in the private sector, that's actually one of the few things that constitutes cause for firing somebody. And I can tell you that if there was a big, huge issue and I didn't really didn't want to do something my boss wanted me to do, there would be a problem. Well, you're right. I think we are in a, in a consciousness now anyway, that really accepts whistleblowers. And there's always been this uh, sort of push to protect whistleblowers, especially in the workplace. Real question is, could uh, Brad Blair have gone anywhere else internally before he went external. Because I think given his rank, given, given his place within the OPP, there would be a certain level of expectation that you have to exhaust your avenues internally to, uh, to affect some kind of change to seek a remedy prior to going outside and potentially spilling some of the OPP's secrets. Uh, let's bring in Taras Nadishak, who is the NDP MPP for Essex, and your leader has called for a full public inquiry. What would that add to this, in your view? We've just seen too many red flags 
throughout the process and, and throughout the timeline of, of how we got to this place. I mean, from the outset, we saw uh, a, uh, a, an intervention, political meddling on the part of uh, the Ford government and some of his uh, executive staff to lower the standards uh, to which the OPP commissioner would be uh, nominated or accepted as a, as a candidate. And, uh, you know, we've seen uh, the Ford government, uh, you know, try to, try to block every uh, measure of accountability along the way, and it ultimately ended up with the you know threats throughout the timeline towards uh, uh, the, not only uh, Commissioner Lewis but uh, uh, Brad Blair, and also now his his firing. Uh, it, it's something that I think raises uh, some serious questions, and that's why our leader Andrew Horvath has called for a full public inquiry today uh, into uh, what's happening around this. It's all of this in entirety of what's happening uh, at Queen's Park. Even if you go back, at least, you know, if, if I'm Minister McLeod today, I'm thankful you're not, we're not talking about autism and the fact that, you know, we'll just give people iPads and call it a day. They would much rather try to defend a $50,000 tricked out van as opposed to some of their other challenges including how are you going to make sure people in healthcare and especially in the autistic community are able to get uh, services where they live and in an effective and efficient manner without going bankrupt. Commentator Kim Wright of Wright Strategies, NDP MPP Taras Natishak, employment lawyer Sunira Chowdhury of Levitt LLP Employment and Labor Law, and Mike Van Solen of Navigator. It was a day after this conversation that Ron Tavner announced he was withdrawing his name for consideration for OPP commissioner. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio, and here are some of the best calls of the week. Mike in Toronto phoned to express support for the Prime Minister in the SNC-Lavalin affair. I think that the media and and we, uh, the population, are being manipulated by the opposition into thinking this is a much bigger issue than it is. And I do think that a prime minister who is thinking about 10,000 jobs, um, you know, for him to say, you know, does this have to be criminal? Can we just make sure we go in with a, like he didn't say, do not investigate this. Do not, um, you know, it was more like a, 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 a cautious inquiry. Colin in Toronto phoned in and was not as empathetic to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. There's only one thing left to do here. We have to subpoena Prime Minister Trudeau to testify to the committee under oath. And that's all there is left to do. He's, he's just, all he does is tell half-truths. He's a BSer as far as I'm concerned. Kathy in Niagara Falls phoned to share what she feels is the difference between Canadian political scandals and those that happen to our U.S. neighbours. There's such a difference between the Americans and the Canadians. I find because it's like in the paper this morning, it was saying that that because of the economy, there are there are less poor children um, in the poverty line here and everything because of Trudeau's stuff that that Trudeau has done. And yet, if he has a scandal, everybody wants to crucify him. Where in the states, he, they've got the biggest scandal guy going as their president. As long as their economy is great, they don't care. And now. Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. 
Great calls as always, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is from Paul in Woodstock, who explained why he's disappointed with the way former Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould has been treated. What possible reason would, would Jody have to fabricate something? I honestly believe she is a woman of great integrity, and she's being disrespected big time. As far as I'm concerned, they're muzzling her as much as they possibly can. And why this deferred prosecution? You break the law, you pay the consequences. You can't pay the consequences, don't break the law. It's that simple. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again tomorrow at the same time when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fightback. You've been listening to the best of Fightback with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Produced for MZ Media Limited by Michelle Saunders, technical producer Justin Eacock, executive producer Moses Neimer. 